You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. <laughs> Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do. And that's make more sales. No Doug or Nada today. It's just going to be me. But you can check us out all on Twitter at Walker Mail, at Nada the Scribe, and at Doug Branson LOH. And you can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Locked On Hornet. So again, no Doug, no Nada. It's just going to be me today. I apologize. I know you come for Doug. I know you come here for Nada. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do you one better. Just because it's Tuesday, like we do every single Tuesday, we're going to go to the guest line and we're going to welcome Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer. And you can catch him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell for all of his work that he features on the Charlotte Observer. Rick, thanks for hopping on once again. How are you? Absolutely, Walker. I'm well. It was a, it was a busy, interesting weekend. I'm, I made a little side trip to Boone to cover the, uh, the App State um, uh, Troy game, and then went down to Atlanta, and it was uh, it was an interesting weekend. Yeah, Sun Belt Championship for App State uh, this weekend, but also th- this weekend we saw the Charlotte Hornets put together a bad performance defensively against the Atlanta Hawks, and then that changed quite quickly to the Milwaukee Bucks. They get a win against one of the best teams, really in all the NBA, and certainly in the Eastern Conference. They do it at home, one ten to one oh seven. Things got very interesting at the end of that game. But the Hornets, they were able to hold on, and they finally win another one-possession game, uh, just, again, getting that victory by three points. Rick, the difference in defensive intensity that you saw from Atlanta to Milwaukee, it's maddening for Charlotte Hornets fans because you know what they're capable of, but they put that kind of product up against the Atlanta Hawks on the road the other night. Uh, what gives? What, what, how, how do you get this team to buy in consistently on that end, and what kind of task is Borrego given while trying to figure that out? Well... Certainly, over an 82-game season, you're going to have some clunkers in different areas. I get that. I respect the notion. This is not an this is not an NFL season where you only get 16 chances to prove yourself. Um, but Walker, that that defense, particularly that defense in the lane Sunday night, it wasn't bad. It was pathetic. It was the worst that I think that they have played as far as team defense in a long time. And apparently, you know, if nothing else, it got their attention because um, yesterday was, the, you know, Monday was the definition, when you think of it, of a game that they, quote, should have lost. Um, they were playing a, a, an excellent team this season who did not play Sunday, who was sitting in Charlotte in a hotel waiting for them. Um, that's the kind of game that, you know, if you look at the, the matching of the schedule, that's a game that you might have X'd off at the beginning of the season. Um, clearly, playing so pathetically got their attention, got them focused. They played, I thought, dramatically better team defense, off-the-ball defense. And frankly, you know, you cannot just give up straight-line drives to NBA players. They're too damn good. And, um, and, you know, there's this, uh, there was this video that ran on Deadspin of four different Hornets attempting to block a drive last night by Chris <laughs> Middleton. That strikes me as Borrego obviously had plenty to yell at them about, and it registered. Marvin Williams got extremely hype after that as well, and you could tell the intensity never left him nor the other players. And, and Rick, 
In that press conference yesterday, I, you asked about Mar- uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist plus-minus score, which we all know is misleading at times. But, again, it was 18. It was positive 18 in the box score. And you look at the way that MKG went into that game and had an effect, and not the crazy amount of minutes either. This 17, 18, something like that, that MKG came in and had an impact. How How valuable is he to this team right now, considering – what we thought just might happen with MKG when Borrego got this job and started discussing maybe MKG's not going to start? I think Borrego had a kind of an interesting less is more idea in figuring out a way to get um, get the optimum out of, of MKG. I remember over the summer when I started hearing um, talk that um, he might not start and that he would probably be playing a lot more power forward than small forward, and I was thinking, you know, somebody said, you know, was the former number two pick, and is, you know, has spent all six prior seasons being a regular starter. Um, there are a lot of NBA players who, you know, that would puncture their egos, that would freak them out. To his credit, MKG has been incredibly adaptive to what Borrego has asked of him, and I would argue that he has actually really benefited from this change. Uh, one of the things that I talked to, that I, that I talked to Borrego about last night that I found really interesting, JB's answer to this is, I asked him, I said, is he better for playing fewer minutes in the sense that obviously the best thing that MKG brings, and it's viral to the rest of the team, is an energy that is almost on the ferocious scale. If he does not have to ration his fouls, if he does not have to ration his energy, maybe he's better for that. Um, to me, this is a really good example of creative problem solving. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us now on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Rick, as we discuss MKGs important to this team, I think it's no question that Tony Parker has exceeded expectations since he's become a Charlotte Hornet. Another big impact from him last night, hitting buckets late, shooting 50%, and Tony Parker is going to get to the elbow and score. He gets to his spots extremely well, and he's done a lot of damage from those elbows this season. When you look at the roster, Rick, where does Tony Parker rank as far as the most important compared to all the other players? That's a really good question, Walker. Um, You know, there are a lot of different ways that you could define importance. One of them would be if that person disappeared from the face of the earth tomorrow, who, you know, um, ranked the damage it would do to the, the Hornets' prospects the rest of the season. Well, I think that Tony would be, I mean, if, if, if Tony had some horrible injury tomorrow, I think it would be devastating to them. Uh, uh, clearly, the biggest weakness on this team the last two seasons is was not having a backup point guard who Steve Clifford could have any confidence in whatsoever. Uh, Parker has dramatically, dramatically changed the backup point guard position from a you know glaring weakness to a dramatic area of strength. And he's done it in a variety of ways. I mean, um, obviously he gets, he allows Kemba to play some left of the ball. And that's very important when you consider the, you know, the usage that they, that they place on Kemba. You know, I think, I think Tony put it as well as anybody last night when he, he just kind of smiles and said, we can't just sit around and, and hope he scores 60 points every night. Uh, Tony was so important to that fourth quarter, even with him missing those two free throws. Um, 
in terms of keeping them organized, in terms of giving you know, giving Kemba a little bit of of breathing room, um, and beyond that, you know, his leadership, his gravitas, um, his bluntness. You know, before the game last night, because um, um, Budenholzer had been a Spurs assistant, I was chatting with with uh, with Bud about. Tony's very direct personality, and Bud kind of laughed and smiled, and he said, that is a very good word to describe Tony uh, Parker's interaction with teammates. And he talked about how when you, you know, that part of that is Tony's natural way of doing things, but it's also very much a function of what the Spurs were like when you think about that. Tim Duncan is exactly like that. Manu Ginobili is exactly like that. Um, there's not a lot of pussyfooting around about saying, well, I don't, I don't know if I should say this even though it needs to be said because I might offend somebody. Tony doesn't worry about niceties. He is, you know, I, we, I think we've got, you know, a thousand visual images in just 20 games of Tony <laughs> getting in people's faces and pointing fingers and telling them what they needed to do. And by the way, that's not just, he's not just doing that with rookies. It was very interesting, Walker. I, I think you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, MKG missed a defensive switch once, and during a stop at the play, Tony walked over and gave him a piece of his mind that was vivid. Even if you didn't hear the words, just a body language said, whoa. Um, that's what they brought him for. And everybody in that locker room respects him and understands what those four rings he brought with him are about. And it's been really, really valuable. And I guess what I'm adding up to is, obviously, Kimba would be the hardest player on this team to uh, replace. After that, you could probably make several arguments who would be number two, and I would not have guessed before the season started that Tony Parker would be in that discussion. Well, and Rick, it seems like Jeremy Lamb has solidified himself as the second leading scorer on this team. It was kind of a rough October for him, shooting under 40% and only having one game of 16 points or more. He surpassed that total a few times in November, shooting 47% from the field, 35 from three. He looks like he's really come along here in this month. How have you evaluated how Jeremy Lamb has progressed? First of all, I agree with what JB said after the game last night, which is that um, um, Lamb adjusting and and um, and being very very productive as the starting shooting guard on this team. Remember, it's not just that he is new to being the starter on this team. He is effectively new to being a starter on a regular basis in the NBA, and it's not all that typical for somebody this late into his season to end up in a starting role. Um, he's been solid. He hasn't been bad defensively, which is was something you you know you wondered about. He's been assertive, and frankly, confidence at one point in his career was a significant issue. It it might not have been as dramatic an issue as it was with Frank Kaminsky, but without a doubt, you know there was a there was a there was a question when he was in Oklahoma City and when he first got traded here about how much he believed in himself in a, in a situation where, you know, you get your, if you, if you have self doubts, they get exposed in the NBA. Um, you know, I don't mean to add a bad to a good point, but, um, one thing I think we need to start thinking about in a Courtney Lee kind of way is, is Jeremy Lamb going to play so well this season? That in a situation where they have where they have several other wings who are either already on contract 
or specifically are controlled by very affordable rookie scale situations. Um, is it is is Jeremy Lamb going to play well enough that he is going to price himself out of a re, out of um, a reasonable opportunity for the Hornets to re-sign him this summer? Because if he keeps playing like this, I mean, you know, he's. Um, would you not agree with me? He's going to be a very attractive free agent next summer at a time when a whole lot of teams are going to have cap space. Absolutely. And we talked about it with the whole Beal discussion last week on how you value the expiring contract of Jeremy Lamb. Do you wish it wasn't expiring? Do you wish that you had him a little bit longer? Or would you be happy to get out of that? I would imagine with this play, certainly in this month and certainly here lately, you would like to have him on the books maybe a little bit longer, depending on the price. But it's going to be interesting to see how much money he gets on that market. And he's absolutely outplaying that $7 million contract that he's under right now. And Rick, just one last question before we get you out of here. We had talked about all the players playing significant minutes. It had been everybody but Frank Kaminsky. And now the last few games, he's gotten into all of them, only four minutes last night. But the three games prior to that, he scored 10 or more points in all of them. How have you thought that Frank Kaminsky has played and what kind of role do you think he has going forward? Uh, I think it's I think it's terrific that Frank kept his head in the situation because I you know as we all know Frank's uh, confidence is is um, fragile he'd be the first person to admit that you know he overthinks sometimes um, I thought it was great that he that he stuck with it that he didn't get psyched out by this situation and when his number was called and there was no you know it's not like there was any great warning i mean i mean this is literally a situation of you know hernan gomez sprains his ankle and at shoot around uh, on a game day um jb says hey frank you're up and and frank was so you know excited about that that he could not sleep in his <laughs> daily game day nap um and he's performed you know quite well for somebody who was totally on the shelf in you know since that happened um, to me, it, it, this speaks to something I find really interesting in a broader sense, which is that um, now literally every single player who's on guaranteed contract on this team, you know, the guys who I guess you call, you know, on scholarship, every single one of them has now played a significant role on, you know, in at least one game this season. Um, <laughs> that's, that says two different things to me. One, it says that JD is not afraid to shake things up in reaction to circumstance, which is which is terrific. Two, it also says to me that there is not, you know, people on this team are not doing a great job of um, settling what the rotation should look like. Um, the only, you know, I was I was ripping through the the uh, the spreadsheets about playing time the other day. And I found it really interesting that on the one hand, um, there's this constant sense of subtle change in the rotation, but on the other hand, what doesn't change is the five starters. Their minutes may go up and down, but have you noticed, Walker, that um, through 20 games, there has not been a single change to the starting lineup. Yeah, I found I, that interesting. No, it, you've been seeing every single guy, uh, every single starter be trotted out there at the beginning of every single game. So it, it's been interesting how he's divvied up the lineups, but he's stayed the same with some of the guys that start these contests. That's Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us once again on a Tuesday here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. If you want to catch his workout, you can on his handle on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much as always. We really appreciate it. 
Yeah, absolutely, Walker. Talk to you later. All right, there you go. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us once again here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. A big thanks to him for joining us as he does every single Tuesday. It's the season of giving, and we're giving you daily Hornets talk in your podcast feed. We need you to show your support by joining our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month, just $1. You'll be supporting the content that you depend on. Patreon.com slash LOH. Once again, just join Patreon.com slash LOH. We'll be back after the break. We'll talk more about that Milwaukee Bucks loss to the Charlotte Hornets last night. A big victory after falling to the Atlanta Hawks on Sunday. Stick around with us on the Lockdown Hornets podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three point line? Oh, I mean, did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay, <laughs> you did. I think okay. you said Miles. That was Leonard. on me. Good, sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Just myself here today. Once again, no nada, no Doug, just me. So I apologize, but I appreciate if you bared with me this long. MKG was incredible last night, man. So cool to see him have this kind of impact. And we just talked with Rick Bennell about it, how the role people thought was going to change for him when James Borrego came to town. And it has changed, but a lot of people thought it would change for the worse that it was the beginning of the end for Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. And last night showed you just how important he is to this team. You have to love the way Borrego is using him. Not just the position he's using him, playing him at power forward, but the amount of time he's using him, to me, is interesting. MKG averaging just over 21 minutes a game that he's played in. This is excluding the Detroit Pistons game he got hurt, that he scored, that he logged five minutes, and of course all the other games that he logged zero because of his injury. So all the games that MKG has been healthy and has played in, he's averaged just over 21 minutes a game. You heard Rick Bennell just mentioned in that interview we just had. It's almost to an idea that less is more with MKG. And Borrego mentioned this last night, how if MKG is going nonstop the entire time he's checked in, and he knows he can give you everything he's got and more so because he's going to get some rest, then you get peak MKG. Hell, in that same postgame presser, Borrego said he wanted to use him more than he did. But he could see that Gilchrist needed a breather, and so he took him out. But he wanted to leave him in there more than the 17 minutes that he logged last night. And deserved it, probably, with the way that he played. But you take him to the bench because maybe you just didn't think he'd be as effective being gassed as well as he was playing defense, going all over the place. And he's tremendous on that end of the court. Well, Borrego said that's where, that's where he really helps this team. And that not only his energy brings a difference to the game, but the fact that it's almost infectious. I saw Chris Kroger use that word last night. Completely agree with it. Completely contagious, that energy is. And you can see it. You can see how much it affects the entire basketball team. And the difference that MKG makes, certainly on that end of the floor, it's incredible. Plus minus, plus 18. And I understand that stat's not exactly the most credible every time, but it feels like it was in that particular scenario. The return of MKG was certainly huge last night, but also the return of Tony Parker. Everybody could see how equally huge that was. 
Tony Parker going for 15 points on 50% shooting, getting to his spots as well as anybody out there, discussing how important he is to this roster. Tony Parker just might be that second guy, and you always see Borrego go to Tony Parker as a closer. Those We talked about this with Rick. You can always count on the starting lineup of who it's going to be. It's going to be the same starting lineup every single time. You can pretty much depend, if Tony Parker is in the game, that he's going to go to Tony to help close out that game alongside Kimba Walker. And that's something we shouldn't be surprised about because Borrego, in the offseason, mentioned that he was going to close out games with Tony and Kimba. The thing that has been different about Tony than what we had heard in the offseason is the amount of minutes that he was going to get. Tony Parker's averaging almost 19 minutes a game, and you look at where that ranks among all the other players on this roster, it's just behind MKG, averaging at about that 21-minute mark when he the games that he's actually played in. So we're just at 19 minutes, and it just seemed like because of Tony Parker's age and because the guy has a lot of mileage on him. So you look at that, and Tony Parker's actually playing quite a bit, and it's not ideal to rely on a guy that is aging as Tony Parker is to help close out games, but can you imagine if he were to go down, how detrimental that would be to the Charlotte Hornets? You can go back to a couple of games this season where Tony Parker comes up with big shots and helps them win basketball games. I think the biggest thing that this game said yesterday was that the Hornets, not only did they finally win a one-possession game, oh, that stat had been getting ridiculous. It already was ridiculous. So finally they win a one-possession game. But you look at the box score from last night, Kimba going 3 of 12 and the Hornets still winning that game. That's what's incredible. Now, Kimba did go to the free throw line quite a bit, so he still did get you points. He got you 21 because he went to the line 16 times and he hit 13 of them. But you had other guys step up. Just talking about Tony Parker, offensively, Tony gave you seven field goals on 14 attempts. Malik Monk only gave you two, so he didn't really step up for you offensively. But you go to the starters, Jeremy Lamb, 8 of 15, Marvin Williams, 6 of 11. Cody Zeller hit four field goals for you. So you scored 110 points when Kemba only hit three field goals and you beat the Milwaukee Bucks, one of the teams that is one of the best in the NBA, certainly, like I said, in the Eastern Conference. And Jeremy Lamb is somebody I think you have to start getting excited about again. Like, it was a bad October for him, but November, you look at what he's been able to do. Lamb shot under 40% in October and shot... Pretty good from three, actually, 39% from three, but he shot under 40% as a whole. And then you go to November, he's shooting 47% from the field. And he's averaging 17 points per game in November, and that's seven points up from what he gave you in October. So since the month has changed, Jeremy Lamb has became that guy to be that second scoring option. I remember Nada constantly discussing, does anybody want this starting shooting guard spot? Because it was a big discussion whether it was going to be Lamb or whether it was going to be Malik Monk. And I think everybody mostly went with Jeremy Lamb. But the way that Borrego had discussed about the development of Malik Monk and and really honing in on that this season, you thought just maybe, especially with the way that Malik Monk comes out, certainly in the debut, it allows your mind to linger in that area a little bit more. But Jeremy Lamb has really stepped it up. And it's somebody I think this is sustainable. I think he gives you, I think you give him the benefit of the doubt because of what he did last season. That ability to step up, it took a while, but Jeremy Lamb finally entered another realm of where he can play. And now Jeremy, 
as Borrego said last night in the press conference, that he's progressed extremely quickly. He's surprised about how quickly he has progressed. And now you look at what Jeremy has done. Again, averaging 17 points in the month of November. That's good. I think you take that, absolutely. Looking for a second scoring option behind Kimba, it's what's led to the Bradley Beal trade discussions on whether the Hornets should bring him in or not. You you, you still love Bradley Beal. You still love him paired with a Kimba Walker. But Jeremy Lamb... That helps you, scoring 17 points on an average, including if you're going to continue to shoot 47% from the field. But even if you go 45, I think you take that from Jeremy. And another thing, how about Marvin Williams? Marvin Williams has really turned around his stroke. And we all knew it was not going to be under 30% like it had been for the first month of the season. But Marvin hasn't shot under 50% the last five games. And he's shooting 48% from the field He's shooting 41% from three in the month of November. So welcome back, Marvin. We missed you. Because it was a cold, cold streak that he had been on shooting from beyond the arc. But now, Marvin, if he just provides you the 10 points a game, 8 to 10 points a game, continues to play defense at the level he is, and is an efficient scorer, somebody that led Borrego to wanting him to shoot more, led Borrego to wanting Marvin to shoot more coming into this season. Maybe you back off on that just a little bit, but Marvin just knocking down the shots when you have the open opportunities. I think that's all you ask out of Marvin, an aging Marvin Williams, and he's been able to give that to you. So having Marvin, having Jeremy step up in that game last night, having them step up over the course of this month, those are the two guys I think you look at. Now, on the contrary, you've seen Malik Monk go down quite a bit with that brutal road stretch that you had. Doug tried to bring him out. Doug tried to improve it with that good juju vibe that we did. I don't even know what that was, that ritual, that scary ritual. Doug actually got him to come out of a funk for a little bit. In a couple of games he did so. Last night going 2 of 7 wasn't much of a factor offensively. Had a couple of nice dimes. Had a couple of nice penetrations there. I actually thought he got fouled on maybe a couple of those drives to the basket, but the refs didn't give it to him. Whatever, Malik certainly hasn't been good this month like he was in October. But still, if Malik even shows up to a happy medium from what he did earlier this season to what he's doing now, then I think you're looking good. Now, I'm not saying that the Charlotte Hornets are going to go win the Eastern Conference title. I learned my lesson after feeling good. I had them probably pegged in as the sixth seed in my mind, and then they dropped that game to Cleveland. And since then, of course, they've dropped that game to Atlanta. But they've won a few games. And I think if you look at this at the beginning of the season, and you look at this record, and you were to say, hey, I'll I'll give you 10-10 and right now, will you take it? I think you absolutely take it. I think you take a 500 record for this team. The over-under was like 36.5, 35.5. I took the over, and on this pace, they'd be going 41-41. and 41. Now, we've all talked about the first half of the schedule and how important it is. It still rings true. You need to find a way to figure out how to win those type of games. The Hawks, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Chicago Bulls. Those are, those are unacceptable if you want to make the playoffs. But it does help when you're able to bounce back and do what I, I saw a lot of Hornets Twitter doing last night, that it's the most Hornets thing ever. For them to win a game against the Bucks after a loss against the Hawks last night, you still take it. It was a fun game to see that. At the end, they tried to give it away. There was a couple of bad turnovers. We saw Kimba try to go to the basket and draw the foul again. That, that part drives me nuts. You give Kimba a million feet of slack because of the way that he's helped this franchise go forward like he has the last couple of seasons. But that, that is 
driving me a little crazy, how he gets to the tries to go win the paint and look for a foul. Doug tweeted it last night. Like he's going to the paint looking for a foul rather than just looking for a bucket. But he hit a couple of free throws, and Kemba and this team is able to win a game against the number two seed now in the Eastern Conference in the Milwaukee Bucks. Thanks so much for listening today. We appreciate you joining us on the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Hornets. Hopefully, Doug and Nada will be joining me in the studio once again tomorrow. We got the Hawks. <laughs> Those damn Hawks. We got them tomorrow. Hopefully, they can get a victory over Atlanta. We'll be back to preview that game tomorrow here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks again for joining.